the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. History has clearly shown that Christ is required to overcome the natural tendency of powerful forces to destroy God-given rights, including the right to hear and speak His truth. Welcome to Biblical Citizen, Let's Roll, with Kathleen and Brian Melanakis. Kathleen is an author and retired registered nurse, and her husband Brian is a former company president. Kathleen and Brian are here to discuss current events from a biblical worldview and how we as believers can be salt and light in our culture and in the political arena. Biblical Citizen Let's Roll seeks to educate and activate Christians at the grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Now, here are your hosts, Kathleen and Brian Melanakis on K-Praise. Hello, Biblical Citizens. You know, the Bible says a lot about money. Most famously, the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's right, that's the love of money, not the money itself. The Bible also tells us a lot about pride and power, about the rise and fall of empires run by pagan or godless people, and how Israel itself was conquered by pagan kingdoms more than once. Well, today, we're going to look at the big picture of power and money in our world, speaking with Mr. G. Edward Griffin, a longtime expert on banking, the Federal Reserve, and what we're going to especially talk about today, hidden global power structures. Just a little extra background, G. Edward Griffin is the author of The Creature from Jekyll Island, a best-selling book on the founding of the Federal Reserve, and how the Federal Reserve was part of a bigger plan from a small circle of influential people in the early 20th century. I read this book years ago. We still have it prominent in our library today. It's been a big influence. So Mr. Griffin not only is a writer, but a documentary film producer, and he's the founder of Freedom Force International. He's well known because he has a talent for researching difficult topics and presenting them in clear terms that we can understand. So, Edward, welcome to our show. Well, thank you, Brian. It's, uh, thank you for inviting me. Well, you know, we have limited time today, but we have some great topics to tackle. So, we're gonna, we're again, we're gonna try to look at the big picture and what influences our world, and we're gonna go back. We're gonna start with the beginning of the 20th century and a man by the name of Cecil Rhodes. Can you? Tell us just a little bit about why Cecil Rhodes is an important figure in our history. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be uh, very happy to tackle that one. Uh, it's been a little time since I've been in the bowels of the history of that, but the, the outline of the story is very, very clear. Cecil Rhodes probably is a name that most people recognize, and, uh, and many are probably saying, yeah, who is this guy, and so forth. Well, he's long gone now, but uh, 100 years ago, uh, thereabouts, he was the... Uh, the uh, magistrate, the, not the magistrate, but the commissioner, the head of South Africa. He came, he came from England, and of course, when England occupied South Africa and annexed it and so forth, they they ruled it politically. And Cecil Rhodes was the chief honcho there, and uh, of course, he came from the the British uh, elite and the wealthy. Uh, 
that's not unusual. Often ambassadors and governors and so forth that, that are sent to uh, occupied lands come from the higher echelons of society. And that was certainly Cecil Rhodes' uh, case. But the, when he was there, he amassed a tremendous personal fortune because in his uh, at this point of leverage of power there, he was able to get control of uh, most of the natural resources of South Africa. And uh, so he, he amassed wealth in gold and diamonds and things like that and became, if you look him up in the, in the encyclopedia, he became arguably one of the more wealthy and most influential figures of all history. And uh, there was a lot of uh, chicanery involved in that history, too. But anyway, that's another issue. Cecil Rhodes was a very influential, powerful, and wealthy individual. Okay, so that's the background. Now, why is he important to us today? Well, it's because he founded a secret society. And we know a lot about that secret society today because uh, he funded it with his vast fortune. Uh, fortunately, the, the guy that was the, um, the executor of his estate, his name was William Stead. He wrote a book uh, called The Last Will and Testament of uh, Cecil Rhodes. And he outlined uh, in great detail exactly where all of this great money, this, this wealth went, and it did not go to his family. Uh, there were seven wills, actually. And it's amazing to read through that and from other documents, including um, memoirs, papers written by uh, Cecil Rhodes himself, which are now on, available in um, the British uh, the Library of London. And uh, so we have some very important original documents that give us vital information that most people don't know. I certainly didn't know anything about this. So in these documents, we, we find the outline of the most, probably the most successful secret society uh, ever created in the world. Wow. And uh, the interest, one of the interesting things about it is that it still exists. And we know uh, or a lot about it, by the way, because of a fellow by the name of Carol Quigley, Professor Carol Quigley, who is a professor at Georgetown University and was the mentor of um, a young fellow by the name of William Clinton, who became president. And um, Clinton acknowledged uh, <clears throat> Professor Quigley uh, quite often after he was elected president. He said, I learned a lot from this man. He's the guy that taught me all about the real world and so forth. So uh, who is uh, Quigley? We get into this pretty interesting historical uh, uh, quest. And, and well, Quigley was a historian, and he wrote a couple of books on this. Um, Tragedy and Hope is his most uh, famous one. It's about a 1,200-page history book. But actually, it's a history of this secret society. And we have and, that in uh, our library, too. Yeah, I've <clears throat> yeah it's boring reading until you come to those paragraphs that all of a sudden, did I read that right? And you go back and read it. Oh, yes, you did. <laughs> so what was, their, what was their goal? What was the goal of the well, secret yeah, society? I'm this out, I'll cut to the chase. The goal of this whole secret society was no, no, nothing less than to conquer the world. And wasn't that right in his will that he said that? I believe I read that, that it was right in his will. He wanted to conquer the world. Well, yes, there's, it made yeah. no bones about it. He, I don't think he ever said conquer the world. Well, I think he said we will control the world. Yeah. And it was the we was, of course, the British. Um, because at that time, he and other elites considered that the British, um, 
well, a little bit later, the Anglo-Americans, but they, he figured that they had reached the highest pinnacle of intelligence and civilization in the world. And so for the benefit of the rest of the world, they owed it to the rest of the world to control the world. And, and spread their culture and their ideas around the world. They're going to take care of the people. And you said they didn't want to do it through a frontal attack. They wanted to do it behind the scenes. Explain exactly. about that. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they do it quietly by uh, moving into the institutions of every nation, the banking institutions, the media institutions, the educational system, the political system. And slowly, nobody would notice, they said, that we will take over the world. So it's pretty important stuff. And uh, when you read these books, you realize that that is what happened. Quigley, when he wrote the book, said this is the most important influential group in the world at the present time. Ever since World War II, for certain, and World War I, actually, everything of major importance in history, according to Professor Quigley, was determined by this group. And one last thing before I just stop talking about it is that they were so determined to make it secret that they didn't even give it a name. Yeah, that's was not interesting. Conscious yeah. effort. Yeah. If you don't have a name, they, people can't talk about you easily. So that's what we're talking about. And I think Cecil Rhodes and his group that he formed is still the most active and most powerful group behind the scenes of all the major historical events that have happened in our lifetime and that are happening even today. Well, and one manifestation of that group is a group that ha- does have a name, the Council on Foreign Relations. And so that came out of that group. It's a group of 5,000 people. All these top-level leaders belong to it. You have to be sponsored by a, a current member to get in. And they do massive amounts of things as a group, that, but, but the meetings are not open to the public. Uh, explain a little more about that. Just Yes, that's certainly true. The uh, Council on Foreign Relations is one of the outer wings. That's what they call them. Uh, when, when Cecil Rhodes created this group, he consciously uh, adopted the organizational structure that was uh, put in place uh, quite a while earlier. I don't know how many years, but it was uh, by Adam Weishaupt. Now, a lot of people recognize that he's uh, he is the founder of the Illuminati, and people laugh about the Illuminati. Oh, yeah, here's a bunch of conspiracy theorists talking about Illuminati. Well, there was a real organization, and supposedly it went out of existence, but that's another issue, whether it did or did not. The principles that it created and the ideals it, it, it promoted are certainly have been picked up by this group uh, uh, that Cecil Rhodes created, and Cecil Rhodes consciously said that he would use rings within rings within rings, which is how Adam Weishaupt described it. And that was the, the concept that in the very center of this conspiracy, that's what it is, and they admitted that, in, in the very center of it, uh, there was usually one man with a few trusted uh, uh, supporters, and then they created a larger group around it of perhaps uh, 12 or 15 people, and uh, they don't realize necessarily that the whole thing is directed by the one or two on the inside, they think they're the whole enchilada. And then they create a ring around that, which usually is called the round table. And then they create a ring around that. And, you know, they they go through rings and rings until finally they get to the outer ring, which is generally a political party. And people belong to each of these rings, and they don't realize that it's all being directed from a central ring. Cecil Rhodes spoke about this at great length. So it doesn't even matter if the Illuminati still exists. His 
the principles of it are used by these by this group that is definitely factual i mean you can go on their website they they will talk about what their goals are but those aren't really the goals and uh you know it's all we just want to promote peace and and but but their goals are based on the clearly stated on the on the structure that was created in the 19th century or early on earlier before that so yeah it doesn't even matter i want to bring up one other we're going to come up to the break shortly uh but edward but I want to talk for a moment about another group I think related to this, very influential in our world, called the World Economic Forum, founded 50 years ago by a German by the name of Klaus Schwab. And we've also ordered his book. He just came out with a book, Mr. Schwab. It's called, it's well, it's touting the Great Reset. And one thing in his book is, Everyone being renters and being happy with it. And when he says everyone, he means the whole world. So we're going to talk about this a little more after afterwards as well, uh, Edward. But what do you think about the World Economic Forum? Isn't that part of this elitist uh, groups as well? Yes, I think it is. But I don't. Uh, my view of that is it's not one of those rings around this uh, Cecil Rhodes group, although there is a tremendous amount of overlap. I think this was primarily uh, sort of an offshoot done by Klaus uh, Schwab himself, had a lot of money. I, I don't know where he got the money, but I have some suspicions that it wasn't all his money. But anyway, that's an, a second issue. But he certainly is promoting all the major objectives of the rings within rings that Cecil Rhodes was talking about. So whether, you're not, whether or not you consider it to be one of the rings or whether it's just a little a bud and offshoot is immaterial. These are very influential people that go to the Davos meeting yep. every year, yep. and uh, they're following the same script. So I guess it makes no difference what the structure is. But you mentioned a moment ago the I'm, I'm going to have you continue on that after the break, if I could. Yep. We just have to oh, take a break. Sure. Stay tuned, folks. we got a lot more to talk about. There is more Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Still to come on K-Praise. Welcome back to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Now, here are your hosts, Kathleen and Brian Milanakis on K-Praise. We are back with Mr. G. Edward Griffin, author and founder of Freedom Force International. We're discussing the history of the Council on Foreign Relations, other secret groups that are definitely in big influence on our world today. Uh, behind the scenes, they don't allow op- open meetings. They don't allow journalists. They keep what they're doing secret. They send people into uh, institutions. They have their their goal, as we have found out from Mr. Griffin, has always been, and it's they have a pretty long history, is to take over the world or control the world. So. Uh, what? So, what is your? <clears throat> what you have some more comments about how they're doing this, and and then we're, after just whatever comments you have, we're going to talk about the biggest lie that they've told about COVID. Well, I guess that since we have limited time, we can't go into all of the fascinating details. But I think your summary, Kathleen, was pretty good, and it's just important to know that the. Council on Foreign Relations is an American institution, and in other countries that were part of the British dependency, 
uh, they had the same type of groups, but they call them uh, the, let's see, the, um, oh my gosh, um, uh, the Royal Institute of International Affairs. Oh, yes. Yeah. And when it came time to create one in the United States, of course, they knew that the word royal didn't go so well with the Americans. They don't, we fought a war to get rid of the king, right? So they called it the Council on Foreign Relations, but it's the same, it's the same group, and I mean, it's the same ring. And, and all of those countries have that ring. Inside that ring, there's a group that they call the Round Table. Now, that's really the powerhouse there, and that's where you find so many of the, of the people who dominate the large institutions, the think tanks and the corporations and the governments and so forth. And the media, the, the isn't media. the head of the New York Times a member? And, yes. and yet, like you said, Bill Clinton was a member, all kinds of government officials, Condoleezza Rice, I know, is a member, uh, the Bushes. Uh, it, th- this is really influential beyond our, our imagination. I want, to touch a, I want to touch a little bit about what's going on for the past year plus with, with COVID, though. Uh, in the recent Freedom Over Fear Summit, Patrick Coffin, and I hadn't heard this before, he was talking about how this centuries-old debate of germ theory versus terrain theory, and we were watching you being interviewed, uh, it informs the current pharmaceutical approach and the political approach to COVID-19. So could you talk a little bit about, uh, just a little, we don't, you know, a little bit on each topic, but a little bit about germ theory versus terrain theory? Well, Patrick asked you, what's the biggest lie that they're telling in COVID? And so that was the question. Yeah, I think that probably, if you want to trace it all the way back to the to the fundamental deception, and not just COVID, but in our entire health industry, our health, our medical system, our concept of what, mm. how we combat disease. You get if you want to drill down to the bedrock, you come down to this this long forgotten debate over germ theory versus terrain theory. So, in a nutshell, let's see if I can summarize that one. Um, Everybody knows the name Louis Pasteur, and he was the one who advanced the idea, first of all, that diseases were caused by germs. Okay, little things, little microbes you couldn't see, but they were out there, and the buggers were going to get you, and if they bite you or get into your bloodstream or something, you're going to get sick, and maybe you're going to die. And uh, so it seemed to fit, uh, that explanation seemed to fit uh, what we observed, uh, you know, how diseases spread through, uh, through populations and so forth. And uh, so out of that uh, concept came the idea that, well, if germs are the cause of disease, then how do we treat disease? We find things to kill the germs. Well, this is very handy if you're a company that produces things to kill germs, in other words, pharmaceuticals, because now the whole world needs your product to remain healthy. And so that's the system that came out of that period uh, based on Pasteur's work. By the way, on his deathbed, this is very well documented, by the way. I don't think it's a myth. He said, I, he said I was wrong, because uh, his, uh, the counterpoint of all of this was uh, Dr. Beauchamp, I think is how you pronounce it, uh, who advanced that, uh, that, no, it's not the germs. The germs are there, he said, but they're always there. They're in all of this. It's not that you suddenly got this germ and got sick. The problem is that, the, like everything else in nature, there's a balance. This thing balances that thing. Up is the opposite of down. Left is the opposite of right. In and out. Health and sickness and all sort of a thing and imbalance. 
So we live with these germs, and in some cases, they're actually beneficial to us, believe it or not. So the idea is not that the germs suddenly showed up, but how come they weren't kept in their place? How come they became dominant and then made us sick? It's because, he said, the terrain in which the um, germs exist, meaning our body, that's the terrain, is becomes uh, weak in some way. Maybe our nutrition is bad. Maybe we're tired. Maybe we're old and worn out. Maybe we've had an injury or something. So the terrain that is normally in normal balance to keep the, the, um, the bacteria and the germs doing their normal uh, uh, beneficial thing, or certainly not harmful, that uh, the problem was not the germs, but the opposition to the germs became weak, and that's the, that's the terrain theory. And that well, is that so was, uh, fascinating to me, and it corresponds with what we learned in nursing school as what we called homeostasis, which means the, bo- the, ba- the balance of the body. Yes, exactly. And then I have heard so much questioning of the germ theory uh, and also the need to strengthen your immune system from the natural people, like we had a doctor on, Dr. Mian last week, and the questioning of this whole idea that you have to attack the germ instead of making it more of a balance. And so I'm really fascinated to know that about the, the, the name of the theory, which is the terrain theory, and how that's been suppressed by the pharmaceutical companies and people that stand to make a lot more money by the products that they have instead of the natural products that can't be patented, whereas the synthetic products and synthetic pharmaceuticals and vaccines can be patented, and therefore you can make a more of a profit of it. But now I want to, in the remaining time left, I want to talk, <clears throat> and this show's all about solutions. So we present issues, we present facts, but we try to also present solutions. Edward, one of the most interesting things I saw in your recent interview, you made the point that we don't need to convince a huge majority of people about these things or to red pill. You have something called Red Pill University, which we want to touch on at the end, and a Red Pill Expo coming up that we're going to happy to attend. But you make the point that you know, the side that's doing a lot of bad stuff in the world today, they've never been a majority. They've been a tiny group. And you talk about the 15% led by the 3% led by the 1%. You want to expound on that a little bit? Well, yeah, there's kind of a whimsical analysis of how I see human nature playing out, especially in in uh, politics and in society. But uh, yeah, if you, if you look back over history, it's clear that history has always been written by about 1% of the population. There are the thought leaders, the thinkers, the, the dynamic ones, um, and they're just the, uh, they're the ones that, that create the ideas that become um, revolutionary in, in the minds of all the rest of us. And you can, you can see that throughout history. And so that 1%, uh, they're usually thinkers. They're not very good action people, but they, they're conceptual people. And then they, they gather around them another 3% who understand and, uh, all these conceptual things, but also they're more, they're more activist-oriented, and they're the movers and shakers, and they make things happen. And then that attracts about 15% of the population, and now you've got it. The 15% are really, they're the loyalists, they're the ones that, yeah, I believe that, that, stuff, I, that affects me, this is truth. 
They're the truth seekers. And then if you can mobilize 15% of the population, that's all it ever takes in history, and sometimes less than that. So that's, that's how I see the social structure of mankind throughout history, and I, I certainly see it today. I, there's no reason to convince every neighbor up and down the street that they're out there pushing their lawnmowers. They, most of them don't want to hear about this stuff. Don't bug me with that. You guys are crazy. I just continue watching Dancing with the Star, Stars, and everything's fine, you know? <laughs> so can I see, would I be able to uh, summarize a little bit as well on this point and that is so what you're saying and what i if i understand correctly this small group of people this globalist group this council on foreign relations and above rhodesian group they're running things secretly or not telling anybody anyway as a one percent of the people or less and then they've got all the 3% and the 15% in the institutions that are following their religion, you might say, or their beliefs. But then, you've, of course, you've got a large constituent of the population that don't believe in that, that, are, that believe in freedom, that believe in, in family and biblical values and truth. You know, so, but, so they're in conflict, aren't they? I mean, is yes, that... There, there's that middle area, that transition phase. It's hard to identify it. That's why I wanted to make clear that what I was just saying is kind of whimsical. I don't know where the, what the numbers exactly are or at what happens in that middle ground where people are confused and don't know which way to go. Right. I mean, I was there for, at one time for a major portion of my, of my youth. Uh, I didn't know any of this stuff, so I would have been easily influenced one way or the other. But uh, as, you, as you grow older and you, and you see the way the world really works, there comes a point where you say that what, it, our, our belief systems aren't true, but it's working. So I won't challenge it, because if I start challenging you know, my, my belief systems and the belief systems of my friends, well, suddenly I'm going to be an outcast. I don't want to be an outcast, so I can right. go along. So that's, it, it, it's a very complex thing. But when you back far enough away from it, you see that definitely it only takes about... 15% led by the 1% or 3% to change history. And that's why we're encouraging people to act locally. And we're almost at the end of the show, and I'm afraid I want to have time for you to mention the upcoming Red Pill Expo. You have a lot of great speakers. Tell us a little bit about the conference and what options people have to participate. Yes, it, at the Red Pill Expo, uh, we talk about everything we've talked about here, only we have plenty of time to go into great depth. So anybody that's really interested in, in, in these issues, and I hope that's, I assume that's probably most of your listeners, because, you know, there are people that, that understand the world and the reality of it, and they want to know the truth. That's where you'll go if you want to find the current ideas and late-breaking research on all of these things that I'm talking about. And the information is on the website at redpillexpo.org. You'll see our mission statement. You'll see how we're organized, what our goals are, who our speakers are, what time it begins. And the dates are June 5 and 6 in Rapid City, South Dakota, of all places. South Dakota because it's one of the few free states where you can walk around and go into a restaurant and not have to mask up. They don't require require you to be six feet apart or any of that nonsense. And they're the healthiest group in the nation there right now. That is so excellent. And we are so looking forward to attending. We're going to be driving. It's, we've really enjoyed having you today, Mr. Griffin. Wow. We, 
hey, I'm going to even call you Ed. Uh, you're you're our friend. So <laughs> he's become a lot more of the friend in the last half hour. I really appreciate it. So we're gonna have to we're gonna have to cut out right now. Thank you right. so much to bless your neighbor this week. Again, check out Red Pill Expo at redpillexpo.org. Check out that book that's still around, The Creature from Jekyll Island. It tells you a lot. Consider some of the things we've talked about today. It's based on a lot of historical research. Until next week, bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Join us next week at this same time as Kathleen Melanakis, author and retired registered nurse, and her husband, Brian Melanakis, former company president, explore the deeper issues and spiritual forces behind the news and how we as believers can be salt and light in our culture and in the political arena. Biblical Citizen Let's Roll seeks to educate and activate Christians at the grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Next week, we will cover more major news happening from the view of the biblical citizen. To learn more about the show, how to become a guest or sponsor, send an email to biblicalcitizen at gmail.com. That's biblicalcitizen at gmail.com. This has been Biblical Citizen. Let's roll on K-Praise.